Well, good morning, everybody. Thought maybe that we'd had the last time of doing the uh, the mask and glasses and microphone dance, but not not quite yet. Not quite yet. We bear with it for a little bit longer. There's a there's a famous legend from uh, from India that goes back to potentially when um, the game of chess was invented. You know, the, the game with the 64 squares on the board and the, the 32 little pieces that you move around. The story goes that when the uh, person who invented the game of chess showed it to the emperor of India, the emperor was so impressed by this amazing new game that was going to absorb his attention and his mind that he said to the, the man who invented the game, name your reward. The man responded, Oh, Emperor, my wishes are simple. I only wish for this. Give me one grain of rice for the first square of the chessboard, two for the next square, four for the next, eight for the next, and so on, for all 64 squares on the board, doubling the number of grains as you go for every square. The Emperor thought this was brilliant. So it's a few grains of rice. He thought it was amazing the man had asked for such a small reward. After a week, his treasurer came back and said, Oh, Emperor, you have a debt that you can never repay. All the rice in the storerooms will never, ever repay this debt. Now, you can do the maths and find that out, but that's not the point today. I don't know if you noticed, as Dara was reading uh, the verses that we'll be looking at from Romans chapter 13, and verse 8. But this morning, I am like the Indian emperor. Not that I have storehouses full of rice. Not that somebody's invented an amazing new board game for me to play. But that I have a debt. I have a debt that I can never repay. Read with me that first verse. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Although we might not think that we have that debt that we can never repay, Paul tells us here in these verses that the debt to each other, to love each other, is one that we will never, ever finish repaying. In these verses, Paul is going back to the themes of chapter 12, after he's taken a little detour into talking about how we relate to earthly authorities, and coming back to how we love each other, how we love one another. And there's a nice pickup if you've been uh, with us over the last couple of weeks from our theme of community as well, about how we relate to each other. And so, in these three short verses, we see that Paul gives us, first of all, a command, which we've just read, but we'll, we'll think about it in a little bit more detail in a second. Then he gives us a reason why he's given us the command. And then he'll explain some proof about why this is a good command. And we'll use that to think about how we can apply 
this command to our lives, how we might go about living it out. So let's just, again, spend a moment in prayer before we come to look in more detail at these verses in Romans chapter 13 and verses 8 to 10. Lord, we do, we do thank you again that we, we can come before you here this morning freely. That there's nothing to stop us from entering this building. There's nobody, nobody trying to stop us from worshipping you this morning. And Lord, we thank you that we have your word and we thank you that it's in our, in our language that we can understand and Lord, I just pray that you would help, help us all now to just think about these words as we read them. Lord, as Dara prayed, that they would make a difference to us this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to think about how we relate to each other in this room and to everybody else who you put in our path, Lord, that we could love them and love them as you would have us love them. Amen. So three things. First of all, a command. If you read again the first half of verse 8 of Romans chapter 13. Owe no one anything except to love each other. There are other ways of, of translating that phrase into English. Don't continue owing. Pay your debts but love each other. Let no debt remain outstanding except to love each other. Some people have used these verses as a way of saying you should never borrow any money, you should never, never borrow anything. And that's not what Paul is saying here. What he's saying is pay your debts that you have when you've borrowed them, pay them on time, don't continue owing. Let no debt remain outstanding. Owe no one anything. But that's not the point of this verse. It does pick up from the end of the previous section. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honour to whom honour is owed. It picks up from there, but then moves on and moves on to say, owe no one anything, don't continue owing, pay your debts, except to love each other. Except to love each other. There is, in this simple command, this idea that we're always going to be in debt. Like that emperor in India, that we're always going to be in debt to one another. And our debt here is to love. Is to love. To love each other. Origen, who was uh, one of the early church fathers, wrote this. Let your only debt that is unpaid be that of love. A debt which you should always be attempting to discharge in full, but will never succeed in discharging. This verse commands us to keep trying to love each other, 
to keep showing our love for one another, but does warn us we can never stop loving each other. We will never get to a point where we can say, I've, I've loved Dara enough. I've loved Porig enough. I've loved anybody enough. We're always going to have to keep loving each other. So who is this each other that Paul is commanding us to love? Last week, we looked at a lo load of one another's from the Bible, but they kind of were talking to us about how we relate to each other inside a church. But if we skip on ever so slightly into, uh, into verse 9, look at what Paul says, quoting from Jesus and quoting from the Old Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. This love that we are to show is to everybody that God places in our path. That's why I asked Dara to uh, read from the story of the Good Samaritan this morning. In that story that Jesus tells, the idea there is that the man on the road to Jericho who is attacked by robbers, the people who should have showed love to him, who we would expect to have showed love to him, was a priest, the man of God, who goes along the road and sees him lying there. But he doesn't show him any love. Or the Levite, the man who knows the law, going along the road, seeing the man there, and just passes on by without showing any kindness, compassion, or love to him. And it's the man who he least expects, the man who we least expect as we read that story, the Samaritan who shows that love to the man on the road. Everyone who God places in our path is not the people we like. It's not the people who we get on with best. It's not our closest friends. It's everyone. Everyone who God places in our path. As we'll come back to again as we think about verse, verses 9 and 10, it includes our parents. For those of us who are married, it includes our husband or our wife. It includes our children. Paul's talked about showing respect to authority in the previous verses. It is to our church family, but it's also to all those sorts of people who I find it hard to love, who I find it hard to get on with, just as they find it hard to love me as well. And what is this love to be like? Is it a kind of 1960s flower power, everybody love everybody kind of free love? No. That kind of dilutes love to being insincere. If we say, oh yeah, we've got to love everybody and everything, and yeah, just, you know, love, that dilutes it. It means that there's, there's kind of something missing from it. Remember that Paul is picking up from Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, where he says, let love be genuine. Let love be sincere. Let love not be hypocritical. This is a genuine 
sincere love. And sometimes that genuine, sincere love is going to lead us into conflict with each other. Because sometimes the loving thing to do is to correct and to point out where people are wrong in a loving way, in a loving attitude. But we're not talking about just do what you want and I'll love you. We're talking about a genuine and a sincere love that is going to build each other up. So we can never say, we can never say, I have done all the loving I need to do. This love for each other is a permanent obligation. It's a debt which we can never repay. Paul has already told us in Romans chapter 5 that this kind of love is poured into our hearts through the Spirit. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So if you're finding it hard this morning to love, if you're finding it hard to love, if there's somebody who you're finding it difficult to love here in the room, maybe at home, maybe at work, maybe at school, wherever it is, we need to pray. And we need to pray for the Spirit to, to know that pouring into our hearts of God's love so that it overflows from our hearts it overflows from us and out to the people who need it so that we can move along in repaying this debt, which we'll never finish repaying, but we can pay some of what we owe. A command to love, want, love each other and to have that as the only thing we owe. So why? Why are we to do this? There is a reason for this command in the second half of verse 13. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So I think we have to ask a few questions before we can start to understand this verse. What's the law, and what does it mean to fulfill the law? Well, in this particular case, the law is the Old Testament law given to Moses by God. And in particular, Paul has in mind the Ten Commandments. And there's going to be more on that in a, in a few minutes as we come to verses 8 and 9. But that's, that's what Paul has in mind as we think about these verses. Paul has spent a whole chapter of this letter to the Romans telling us that we are incapable of fulfilling the law. We cannot fulfill the law in terms of saving ourselves. Because we are fallen. Because 
we are self-centered because we love ourselves more than we love God. And that God has done for us what the law could not do through Jesus' rescue for us on the cross. And, that, and Paul explains to us that if we put our faith in Jesus and that saving nature of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, that Jesus stood in our place and paid the price for our turning our backs on God, for our sin, that we are no longer under the law in terms of our salvation. So what does it mean here for Paul to then say, if we love one another, we have fulfilled the law? Well, people who are far cleverer than me have written some nice synopsis of what it means. John Piper, speaking on these verses, put it like this. To fulfill the law here in these verses is to display the attitudes and actions that the law requires. So for us to love one another is for us to display, first of all, the attitude, and second, to put in action what it is that the law that God wrote down for Moses and for the, for the Israelite nation requires. It's to show it's to show that we're following God and his law. And uh, Thomas Schreiner, he put it like this. It's putting the law into practice. It's putting the law into practice. So the law, as we think about this reason for this command, for fulfilling the law, the law is the law of, the law of Moses, in particular the Ten Commandments, and to fulfill it is to put that law into practice, into action. We often think of, oh, I don't know about, about you, but I certainly do, you often think of all that chunk of law in the Old Testament as being a negative thing, as being a list of, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And on the other side, we think of loving each other as a good thing, as a positive thing. Here, instead of being opposites, Paul brings them together and puts them so that they're both they're two sides of the same coin. Love and law, two sides of the same coin. This isn't that kind of free love with no law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. It puts the law into practice and into action. So to love like this is to do what God wants. It's to act as God wants us to do. And because we're imperfect, we're just going to have to keep doing it until eventually we make it to heaven. It's the right thing for us to do. And Paul's picked up on this so many times in Romans already. We've already read 
12, verse 9, where he says, Be genuine in your love, be sincere. Chapter 8 and verse 4, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And we've seen that it's the Spirit that pours this kind of love into our hearts from God. And chapter 5 and verse 19, For as by one, the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And so as we accept Jesus, and by his obedience we're made right in God's sight, so the Spirit can be poured out on us, we can love like this. But we're still being changed into more and more Christ-like people. So we're not going to get this right all of the time. We're going to need to forgive each other when we do get it wrong. And there are always going to be opportunities for us to practice this kind of love. But it is how we are to be characterized as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as a people of love. I asked Chris and Lulu to sing that song this morning about the new commandment from John chapter 13, because it's what Jesus said is going to mark us as his followers, as his disciples, to love one another. John chapter 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. If we love each other in the way that Jesus has called us to, in the way that we'll think about practically for a minute, in a moment, it's going to mark us out as Christians. And it's going to show that we follow Jesus and we were reading this, this verse the other day, and I kind of noticed that Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. So it follows that people who are not Jesus' disciples are not going to show this kind of love for each other. Because otherwise, how is this kind of love going to mark us as Jesus' disciples? This is going to be a very special sort of love that is going to flag to people outside and inside that we are followers of Jesus. So then, looking at verses 9 and 10, how do we, how do we put this into practice? Well, Paul gives us some pointers through verses 9 and 10. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. Love is fulfilling the law. It's what we just spoke about from verse uh, verse 8, but it's also at the end there of verse 10. Love fulfills the law, it puts the law into action. And love fulfills the law because it does no harm to others, to our neighbours. So we should love our neighbour as we love ourselves. Which, if we go back to that Luke passage, Jesus says, this summarises all of the commands 
from the law that relate to how we relate to each other. So love your neighbor as you love yourself. This isn't Paul, it isn't Jesus saying, you've got to really, really love yourself now. You know, really, you know, big yourself up inside. Our sinful, self-centered nature, we already know how to love ourselves. Yes, some of us get downhearted. Some of us beat ourselves up and get, uh, get depressed. It's true. We know that. We recognize that. But deep down, in our sinfulness and our self-centeredness, we do know how to love ourselves. This says we should love our neighbors as much as we already love ourselves. And Paul illustrates this by saying if love, if love is cut free from any commands, it easily dissolves into sentimentality and any action Almost any action can be described as loving. And so Paul is illustrating it here by showing us that the commands from the second half of the Ten Commandments are about loving each other. They're about loving each other. Charles Cranfield, the English uh, theologian, wrote this about this, these verses. God addresses his command to us as the people that we actually are the sinners who do, as a matter of fact, love ourselves. And God claims us as such for love to our neighbours, to each other. So Paul writes down the commands, or some of them anyway. I love, I love the, uh, I love the little, little snippet here where he says, and any other commandment as if he's kind of forgotten what the Ten Commandments were and uh, was kind of trying to rack his memory to see what the last one that he, he couldn't quite get was. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. Now, it's quite easy for us to wander around not murdering each other. Sometimes we might get angry with each other, but we don't, we don't tend to kill each other. But look, the commandments go as far as not coveting, not bearing false witness, not lying. If we let our love for each other dissolve into sentimentality, then it's okay for us to go, it's better if I don't quite tell the truth so I don't hurt Dara's feelings. Genuine, sincere love requires us to follow these commands. Not to let the little things go in, the little white lies, the little compromises. This is what genuine love looks like. One of, uh, one of the people who's in this room put on their Facebook feed uh, something that they'd written a year ago, and they shared it. And it was a picture of them wearing their mask, saying, I'm tired of this, but I'll do what I can because I love people. And Jesus tells us to treat others like we want to be treated.
showing genuine love. Paul wants us to show genuine love in the home, on our estates, in the supermarket, in our workplace, whenever we meet people. I've been challenged this week by a situation at work where I can't go into the details, but it made me think about our policies and different sorts of contracts that people have and how best I might be able to influence what happens in the workplace to love people. It's not even just about how we interact with each other. It's about making influences so that we can show love better to people as and when we can. And it's bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We've read before from Romans, the Spirit pours God's love into our hearts and then we bear the fruit, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Anders Nygren, who is a, a Swedish theologian, wrote this, to live in Christ is to walk in love and is something entirely different from living under law. The law and un under the law and striving to fulfill all its requirements. And yet, by living in Christ, walking in love, we fulfill the law. We honor authority. We don't harm each other. We guard the purity of sexual intimacy within marriage alone. We respect each other's property and the right for paid work to be done. We honor the reputation of others, both in front of them and when they're not there behind their backs. And we're content with what we have. Love. Love is all important in the covenant of God. Without love, as we try to serve God and serve each other, our service will always be defective. Loving like this is an unpayable debt, like the emperor of India had with that chessboard full of rice. We are always going to owe love to each other. We are always going to owe love to each other. So who is the most difficult person that you are going to meet today, tomorrow, this week, before we come back together again next Sunday? Who is the most difficult person that you are going to meet? And what is loving them going to be like? Are you going to hold your tongue as the chat's going on, the gossip? Are you going to help them and serve them? The challenge from these verses is to love them, to love them as Jesus would have loved them and as God commands us to love them. 
with the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, thinking about these verses and thinking about the picture of the man on the road to Jericho and the Samaritan who was the least likely person to to show love and care for that man, we recognize that following the command that Paul writes for us in these verses is going to be hard. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to recognize who that person is for us to love this week. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see practically how we can love them as Jesus would have loved them. And Lord, I pray that we would look for your help. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to know the Spirit poured into our hearts so that we can love like this. And Lord, I pray that that our love for each other here would overflow into our communities. Whether it's the communities where we live or the communities where we work or study, Lord. Just pray that some of the love that we have for each other here would spill out. And Lord, you'd, you'd change and you'd change lives for you, Lord. Amen.